You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Scoped Out Shooting Optics and Accessories. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. Uh, I believe this is episode number 65. Uh, yes, it is. It's been a little while since we've been uh, done an episode, actually. We've been away in... Uh, all sorts of places, and uh, the last ones have been about the Darwin uh, event, and from that particular episode, you may uh, know one of our, I was going to say contestants. That's not right, is it, Greg? These guys aren't contestants, are they? I don't know. <laughs> what, what do you call them? <laughs> um, uh, people joining us. But anyway, Greg, Greg uh, Badco, everyone knows Greg. How are you, Greg? Yeah, good, Rusty, yourself? Yeah, good, mate. We've got to talk about Brisbane shortly, uh, but from uh, from the Darwin podcast and previous episodes as well. Bronte, how are you, mate? Yeah, g'day, Rusty. How you doing? Good, mate. Excellent. And uh, first time caller, long time, no, he's he's heard one or two episodes before, uh, is Paul Waning from uh, Scoped Out. How are you, Paul? Good, Rusty. How are you, good boys? Good. He's just uh, he's learning how to use his microphone tonight for the first time, which is... Uh, are you nervous, mate? Extremely nervous, especially with you fellas. <laughs> but what about the podcast, though? Oh, that's fine. That'll yeah. be <laughs> I thought I thought you'd be right with that one, so I'll autograph something for him later. <laughs> Where's one of those mugs? Yeah, and then drop it into three pieces <laughs> on the way out. So you'll be you'll be pleased to know, uh, Fat Jesus got his mug in one piece. Wow, one out uh, of two. Yeah, <laughs> one out of two. We've done well. One day we'll get some more mugs. Uh, I suspect. And, uh, yeah, that really, I guess, sums up the last... What has it been since we've done a podcast in this room? About five, six, yeah, about six that. weeks? Yeah. Yeah, the last one was uh, with Jace from the SAF class team, which was good. Yeah, I good thought. podcast. Mm. Yeah, good insight into target shooting. Did you guys um, hear that? Yeah, I did. It was quite interesting to hear the different aspects he takes to uh, shooting, given coming from an F-class background versus probably the rest of us, which were more of a tactical and hunting mm. background. Yeah, no, it was, it was good to have him on board, and uh, no doubt at some point we will uh, get him back to have another chat, uh, I'm sure. And then, of course, we had a couple of episodes up in Darwin, um, which, Bronte, you were a part of uh, the first one, which was the the more sensible one, the one done on the line. Um, we won't recap too much about that shoot, because we certainly spent that episode and then the next one rambling on at a pub about it. And um, actually, I don't think it made into the into the episode, but there was a... Uh, on the, the Monday we were at the pub doing the wrap-up, a lady come up to us right towards the end of the podcast. I think you can kind of hear it in the background. And she just goes, excuse me, but what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> and, which is probably a fair call because about six guys sitting around with microphones talking at the pub. And, and when we started at that podcast, there was about eight people in the pub. And when we finished, there was about 80 um, all around us, so it probably got noisier as the uh, as the thing went on. But did you enjoy the shoot, Bronte? Yeah, it was fantastic. Butters puts on a good shot there, and the NT guys are always up for a bit of a laugh. Um, unfortunately, I was crook as a dog for the whole weekend, which which uh, took the shine off things a bit. But it was still a great weekend. It was a well-run yeah. event. Yeah, it was good. It was. Do you guys see photos and bits and pieces from it? Did you? Yeah, I saw a few. I saw you, you were wounded at one point. Were you? <laughs> yes. What happened there? Smashed my knees up. I just I committed to what I was doing. Oh, Greg, that's, that's yeah. all. No, good stuff. I was committed to it and uh, lost some bark. Overly yeah. committed to it. Oh, there was no questioning Rusty's dedication. That slide <laughs> is absolutely exceptional. We have actually got it on camera as well, which yep. uh, that footage has to get leaked at some point. I dare say because uh, <laughs> yeah, that's one for the highlight reel. Yeah, we'll get it up there somewhere. Um, 
Anyway, it was it was good. Um, I know that there is a write up about that shoot coming online uh, in the next probably couple of days from the time we're recording this, and that is on Practical Rifle Australia's website. So make sure you check out the uh, that's Andy McNeil's uh, website. Although I think Butters has written the uh, the write up on it. So a bunch of photos there uh, as well. So you guys who are listening will be able to check out all the details from it, and the video is probably coming shortly as well. So it sounds like he's going to beat you with the uh, his NT video rather than your Precision Rifle Invitational one here in South Australia, Rusty. That, that video has been ready to go for six months, but everyone's been complaining. Not six months, three months. Uh, but everyone's going to be complaining too much. It's going to take too long, so I'm just sitting on it. We're just waiting, <laughs> just drawing it out, you know. I can just see Butter crying in the corner at the moment, just, just rocking back and forth in the fetal position. <laughs> That's really what I'm aiming for. Someone send me a video of that. That'd be great. Um... I'm sure you would provide them with a mug if they do that. <laughs> sure, sure. Butter's a bit mug anyway. Um, and so the other thing that's probably happened pretty majorly in the last few weeks is the Brisbane Shot Expo, which Greg, you and I were uh, at, and yep. um, we once again didn't see very much. No, no, it was pretty busy. Um, yeah, plenty of people came through. That's for the, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, Sort of a different crowd than normal. Well, normal. normal. <laughs> That's the wrong word <laughs> well, right there. That was harsh. Um, Listen to that, Brisbane. D- different <laughs> yeah. loves you. Yeah. All right. I might no wonder s- you get kicked out of pubs oh, in I Brisbane. Get, I might get stoned to death on the next visit. But <laughs> <laughs> it's um, – no, nah, just they're more hunter-orientated, I think. You know, a lot of conversations I had, um, you know, they, they – you know, I was helping out STS Target selling still still gongs, which is you know mm-hmm. hand in hand with precision shooting and long range shooting, and and there was a lot of guys come up and and you know oh what are these about, and yeah they were more sort of about hunting pigs and all that sort of stuff. But you educate them a little bit, and they're like oh wow this is a fantastic idea, and that mm-hmm. you know they were keen to to buy a plate and get some practice in. So. Yeah, no, it was it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, uh, would would uh, that would certainly be true. Um, we had a pretty packed out session for the long range talk we did, uh, particularly on the Saturday. Sunday was a bit quieter, but apparently a bit quieter all around. That was the same day as the um, the big fight. Um, uh, the oh, Mayweather. Mayweather, that's yeah. the one. And so that was a lot quieter. Actually, I think basically the time that fight went on, the whole place died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, the uh, the. The Sunday was pretty quiet, but uh, Saturday, um, the the chat we did, yeah, was the room was packed and yeah. and had heaps of questions afterwards and and spent oh, some great. good time with people. So that was very good. Um, got heckled a fair bit by Fat Jesus and uh, Richard from Echo. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I, I, all I had to say to Fatty was eight ball, and um, and that was that sort of kept him quiet pretty quickly and uh yeah it was good fun and so um yeah brisbane was good I, i'm trying to think if there's any particular products that was worth mentioning the victrix rifles that beretta had were pretty sweet looking things did you get a chance to look at them no no, no? I, I didn't get around too much but it, you know i'm a gadget man as, as we know right, um yeah. i did go have a look at the pulsar stuff and of course and have a chat to the extra vision guys um and the new trail um, thermals that are out, so I just had a look through those. They're pretty phenomenal. Yeah, nice. Um, so yeah, that's that's the main thing I I'd be lined for. <laughs> well, did you speaking of gadgets? Did you have a look at that thing hanging off my wrist on uh, Sunday? Oh, I got did a you, quick look at that. You got yeah. a quick look. So um, the guys at Garmin, uh, we met them on Saturday night, and they very graciously gave us a um, 
uh, one of those new, I don't even remember the model numbers, but the Applied Ballistics GPS Garmin device. Um, uh, not they didn't give us one, they lent me one for the Sunday to wear and, and to play with. And, and it was a very interesting device to use. Um, you'd have to be, I think, in the right scenario for it to be a better option than Kestrel uh, with mm. Applied Ballistics, perhaps. Yeah, just yeah. how how was the data input into that sort of thing? Does it just have a series of buttons on the side? Or yeah, is so there's about Bluetooth four, four buttons on the bottom. And so everything was self-contained. And so you would flick through and you adjust, adjust your data, put all that information in. Um, I Look, I didn't play with the GPS settings because I pretty much stood in one spot for the entire day. So I didn't think that was very sensible to try out. Um, but, you know, I'm sure those familiar with how GPS works on those sort of devices are you know, up to speed on it. From a hunting scenario, it would have been good because the thing weighed nothing it was so light and um and so if your if your density attitude was going to be pretty consistent for your weekend or you can you, you know you're familiar with the area and you can pick what it is or if someone else is running a drop or something like that you could then put that information in it didn't source that information itself but the interface was actually a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be pretty painful to put data in, and it wasn't. Um, and then you could display it, change your distances pretty uh, pretty quickly uh, on, on that device, and it was right there. You know, if you're in shooting position, it is right where you need it to be. So you said it was from Garmin. So, so was it yep. a, a functional GPS as well? Uh, yes, but I didn't yeah. try it. Yeah, but it's, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's you know, model... two devices into mm. one from a hunting perspective from a – Oh, absolutely. Like you say, from a from a packing and size and weight perspective, there's there's benefits yep. there as well for you know like your you know backpack hunting and stuff like that. Oh, for all those things, absolutely. And and we are going to get a chance to play with it later in the year as well for a bit longer, um, as well. So that's going to be something to look forward to. So does it have like a range guard functionality? Because that's probably one of the things that I use the Kestrel for quite a lot in a hunting scenario. I'll set it up with my range card over the distances I'm expecting. So then you have something that presents itself at 600 or 680 or whatever it is. I've got that data or data near enough in hand. So as far as I could find easily, no. But I also didn't have a manual for it. So I sort of just press buttons until I found things that worked. Um, so I'm not going to say it doesn't uh, because it, it may be an option there that I didn't see. But what it represents to, to you on, on your wrist is the solution for whatever whatever distance you put in. Um, yeah, yeah it, maybe hold it, off until we uh, have a good look at it Yeah, could it have future? more? Certainly it could, um, but I, I uh, didn't see it. Um, but as I said, literally just... They put up my wrist and away I walked and that was it. Um, so, yeah. Does it yeah. have the ability for Bluetooth at all, like Bluetooth connection? Uh, again, uh, not that I saw, but okay. I'm not. I'm not entirely yeah, sure. That, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it was a, a, an amazing review of it. I just played yeah. with it. And we that, were, that'd be pretty groovy if it yeah. did, especially yeah, with all the Bluetooth. Then you range can go from something like the Kestrel Drop, which you sort of yes. latch yeah. it onto your bag and then exactly. sort of off you go. I mean, that'd make sense. If you could do that in a drop card, um, yeah, that would be that would be brilliant. I didn't see those features, but as I said, it was a mm. we had limited time, and uh, despite the fact I wore it on my wrist for a day, we were pretty pretty flat yeah. out for that yeah. day. So um, it was cool to, to play with. The, the weight surprised me. I thought the thing was going to be bigger and heavier and chunkier, and it mm. wasn't. Um, so from that point of view, it was actually quite quite useful. Be interesting to see if it's also got a, like a breadcrumb feature. Uh, sorry, a breadcrumb feature. I believe so. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, As I said, didn't play with the GPS, sure. but that's a pretty, I think it's a pretty high-spec GPS, the base model of it. So, yeah, I think it does all that really well, waypoints mm. and everything. I mean, being a partnership with Applied Ballistics, those guys generally don't want to associate their name with something that's subpar, so you'd expect it to be pretty well 
on point as far as the GPS and other capabilities would go. Yeah, yeah, I certainly think they would have picked the right model for that. The other cool thing that um, there was a shot, and I think it was by Aimpoint. It was a, I'm trying to think of the words to describe it, like a virtual reality hunting game, I guess. You basically like wander up to this this stage, um, this platform sort of elevated up, and you'd put your, your VR goggles on and hold this like stock effectively. And I'm guessing there was a trigger on it or something like that, and you'd pretty much like, you know, point and shoot at pigs running past and all this sort of gear. And there was screens on there. So, yeah, usually there was a fair bit of an audience around watching whatever the person on the on the game was doing. Um, that was really quite cool to see. I think there's some photos up on the SSAA Shot Expo Facebook about that. Um, didn't get a chance on that one. We were all no, flat out. No, and there was always a massive line oh, on it yeah. too. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that stuff develops into possible training opportunities. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, whether they can relate that. To your living room for you know practice moving targets and stuff like that. You know, there's the there's potential. Yeah. yeah, there's potential. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. The cost of um, gyroscopes aren't particularly expensive. Accelerometers and bits and pieces like that. You could, wouldn't be that hard to mm. to build a module that attaches to a rifle in this day and age to, for that training exercise. Get on it, Bronte. No, I'll, I'll be honest. The, I'll, I'll do the copyright for you, Greg. If you fund it, I'm quite happy to do the R and D on it, mate. <laughs> I've not commonly thought about the price of gyroscopes in my normal day-to-day life. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Paul. You? No, I was just thinking Xbox myself. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I think we've all played Big Buck Hunter, so you know that's certainly yeah, that's the benchmark. We're gonna mm. go up from there. Um, but yeah, that that whatever game, I guess simulation, whatever you want to call it, it looked pretty. Yeah, it was cool. pretty cool. I would like to have got to go on that. Yeah, maybe, so. maybe next time, maybe next time. Um, the other thing that uh, did we talk about the Saturday night the shot? We we where I got recognised by a listener and you got kicked out of a pub. In um, should we leave that there? We may, maybe we'll yeah, leave, leave that there. there. Yeah, I thought yeah. we might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll leave my boozing out of it. No, eh? I didn't say boozing. <laughs> you could have been in a fight. <laughs> no, you weren't in a fight. Um, all right. Well, we shall move on to some other things. Um, now, generally speaking, there's usually some new toys or new kit floating around um and we got some other guys in here what's uh taking your fancy in the last couple of months guys you bought any new toys or anything like that yeah i guess um i'll start off with that one i'm uh, still playing around with different rifles and calibers etc and um i've just sort of progressed to a 6.5 or 47 lap um it's a tax stiller essentially and in a matter of stock and um took it out for the first time on like a Sunday last week and short of all the people coming in to the range I got about 14 shots off which is all of it looks pretty promising so um mm-hmm. was shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor before that um but I think the the lap might have it actually it's even from recoil management the whole nine yards it, it just seemed the goods it was you know I did three siding shots and they touched you know and that was the, the first sort of three and I was like well uh, yeah, yeah okay. a bit of a smile crept on the face. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those moments. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I've you know I've been shooting for sort of ten, twelve years, whatever, and to actually have I've you know I bore sided it and did everything. I but the first yeah three shots at a hundred meters were literally half a mil off center ball, and I was like, wow, that's that's sort of telling me keep going. So yeah, yeah. nice, nice. What what we made? No, I'm not sure if we got enough time for this question tonight, but. What made you jump to the 6.5 or 47 over the Creedmoor? 
Um, or is it circumstantial? Oh, a couple of things. I um, <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, I was look. I was actually tossing up between the two. I've um, I had an opportunity to build a custom rifle, mm-hmm. which is where the six point five Creedmoor came into it. Um, I had Nick from Ignition Custom doing it for me, and um, we were tossing up between the two, and it's just. I guess it was in the the. It was about eighteen months ago, so the hype of the you know the Ruger Precision and people sort of going on about the six point five Creedmoor, and I was I was undecided. And then um, I knew there was a hassle trying to get the brass for the 6.5 or 47 lap because it was really, I guess, guess in its infancy at that state. Like, it just didn't seem as popular as a 6.5 Creedmoor. Yeah, like, I, I could popularity see popularity sort of perhaps to be the, the claim, yeah. not infancy. It's been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. I guess but I guess in Australia, it just seemed to be, you know, I was looking for dyes and I couldn't find them anywhere. And I was like, well, okay, well, do I take the path less travelled? and. Mm. You know, I succumbed to the pressure and I went for the 6.5 Creedmoor and beautiful rifle. Hey, credit to Nick. It was um, laser beam. It's, yeah, awesome rifle. Did shoot well? It did, mate. Yeah, it's it, it, mm. it's uh, very well. Um, better so than the user, actually. <laughs> was, that a, was that a hunting rig or a, 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 no, a long-range rig? It was actually, I, I think I sort of designed it for sort of PRS in mind. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It was a cross between a, you know, um, I guess like a... Um, yeah, uh, what it wasn't an extremely heavy profile barrel, but it was a cross between that and a and, and a varmint, so it was slightly yeah. heavier than a varmint. Yeah. Um, you know, we tried to didn't flute it for you know, we're trying to sort of keep the weight down but then not introduce heat and all this argument about you know <laughs> you know, I mean <laughs> sure. you have floating's pretty controversial to topic there, especially if you're yeah, starting into stress relieving and all that sort of stuff of well, uh, barrels and how they button especially with an button, engineer in the group. Yeah, button exactly. rifled versus cut. <laughs> Rifling, all those lovely things. Just thought I'd throw that out there, but um, mm. just to keep it simple and safe, I thought I'll just leave it as a plain barrel. And um, yeah, you know, muzzle braked and everything else. And it, it wasn't overly heavy, but it was, like I said, it was accurate. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it just happened to be that I had an option to buy a 6.5 or 47 lap, but it was actually a, a tax dealer. Mm. And um, it was just too good to give up. Yeah. So that sort of came into the realm as well. And um, yeah, I, I, Hadn't sort of played with it. I'd stuck it in the on the shelf type thing and was playing around with a 6.5 and then had a few um, sort of issues with, uh, you know, I was cho- tossing around with projectiles, looked like I do with most, when I shoot PRS, I tend to change something. Yeah, mid-comp. Silly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spend most of the time in the 100 metre range. But um, it's... I wasn't going to give you a hard time about that tonight, but you've opened the floodgate, so here we go. Strap yeah, yourself well, it's, in. It's time, mate. I don't get time to shoot, and it tends to be the, the day, the morning of the comp gives me the opportunity. So um, good, good. Yeah. But um, no, I, we can help. I really do think you know I've gone from a one forty projectile to a one thirty, which mm-hmm. you know seems to sort of I'm, I'm hoping sort of defeats the wind a little bit, and it's it's going to be a faster shooter, and yeah, it's it's really promising. So hmm. good stuff. And just just for future reference, the barrel is fluted. So <laughs> oh, well, that's a classic mistake there. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, Bronte, what about you, mate? Any new toys recently? Uh, no new toys as such. It's uh, in, in the procurement phase at the moment. Right. Um, I'm talking with uh, Steve from Precision Rifle Products and right. looking at doing a little bit of a uh, take on his modular chassis mm-hmm. and um, setting it up for a long-range hunting slash sort of budget ELR gun built off a, a 300 Win Mag ticker action. Um, but I'm looking to sort of run it off AI mags mm-hmm. and a couple other little features that I'm still sort of working through the details of. Okay. Which uh, hopefully uh, make it more suited for 
for the application. I can't really say too much yet. All oh, right, yeah. Still, still in R and D phase, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much where my focus is at the moment. What have you yeah. got on Steve to get him to give you a long action in a ticker? I've been trying to get a long action in one of those chassis for a Remington for so long. Uh, I'm probably going to have to model it myself and design it. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, the majority of the stock is the same for a long action or short action ticker. Part of the uh, magazine channel. Although, if you're doing something, did you just? I didn't listen to what you just said. Did you talk about doing a not a this doing a this in a this not a this? Oh, there was a little bit of a, a that instead you, of a this, and you, then the, a bit of opposite <laughs> of a there. I like how clear we are. Did you mention anything about a WSM? Did yeah, yeah. Okay, so good. Probably, okay, looking, good. At, probably so looking at a. Um, I should have paid far a, more attention. A seven three hundred WSM. Yep. So um, in which case you don't have to open it all up for the the large magazines. You can run with a shorter mag. No, 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 no. Yep. I want to run um, the the long action ish okay. as long an action as I can on the ticker because obviously course, the issue with the, the ticker has been. They aren't a true long action in the sense they're a little bit restricted, yeah. Which is part of the reason because it's currently a three hundred wind mag, and the intent is to turn it into a switch barrel, okay. And right. then have it set up for the seven dash three hundred WSM um, to be able to run the sort of quite heavy projectiles, yep. And see them right out and make use of that magazine capacity. Is that the only issue on the ticker? <laughs> okay, let's, that one out there. Move, let's move on from that because that's uh, that'll keep us here all night if we fanboy <laughs> alert. If we start opening up the ticker versus anything else debate. Um, Greg, can you remind me one day we need to have a, a podcast about switch barrel guns? Okay, we'll do discussion that we. I'd be interested to see some some points out of that. Um, is there anything else playing with? It sounds like an exciting project, mate, and certainly there's lots of things to take into account. Are you in any particular hurry for it? You're just going to take it as it comes and, and take it slow? Uh, it's probably one of those things that it's on the desk with about 15 or 16 other projects. So it's, it's not going to come anytime soon. Nice. Um, I really probably need to finish off my induction annealing machine first because um, that just looks pretty Frankenstein at the moment. So that needs a bit of a tidy up. And That's the best kind. Made to look a little bit neater. Yep. Excellent. The thing is, does it work? Yeah. And is it under $400? It cost me nearly four hundred dollars. <laughs> That's fine. Make two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm currently trying to work through the details of putting like a um, touchscreen LED on it for programming the times and stuff like that. Wow, make three of them then. <laughs> cool, make it four. Um, Greg, any any new toys in your side um, of things? I think I mentioned it last podcast. I've, I've just uh, got rid of the 223 out of my ESS chassis and just ordered a 243. That's right, yeah. yeah Have you got so, that yet? Or yeah? No, well, yeah, it'll be this week. But just thinking about chopping that down to 20-inch, Yep. running slightly light. I usually run 87s. I'm thinking about running uh, 69s, is it, VMAX? 65 VMAX. Yep. Sure. Um, yeah, and just, uh, just so for mobility. a little bit and bump it up. Yeah, so yeah. All, all about mobility. Um, yep. Just for the thermal, just my ideal thermal setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, more about getting in and out of the vehicle without taking off the sling. I went and got one of those Magpul MS4 slings right. that have, you can run two point or you can run one point. Okay. Um, yep. QDs. So just trying to get that, you know, move around, do everything I do mm. on a normal hunt without having to put the rifle in the back seat or any of that sort of stuff. I just want it on me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just trying to work on that, and I'm just waiting for MDT to bring out the the folding 
stock for the ESS chassis, mm-hmm. which is due by Christmas, I think. Which, yeah, which Christmas? Yeah, I'm <laughs> rubbing my hands together waiting for that. Yep. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, cool. Well, I've actually gone the other way. I'm uh, selling guns and scopes and bits and pieces yep. um, just to free up some cash, basically, is stuff mm. I'm not using. And uh, So if anyone's after anything, let me know. You know, I've got stuff to move on. Very good precision, perhaps. Um, <laughs> no, so, no overt advertising at all. But if you want to buy something, let me know. Three vortex scopes um, <laughs> and <laughs> bushnell. And so, um, yeah, slowly, yeah, slowly chipping away. That's uh, yeah, really refine, uh, refine some stuff, and also you know, purchase it. some upgrades for some mm-hmm. other gear. So, don't exactly know what I'm going to go down the line for, but certainly reviewing it at, at present. So, um, get a thermal. You know what? <laughs> I, I'd love to, <laughs> yeah. but uh, not 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 with this revision of of yeah, uh, my no, stockholders. Yeah. But you know, thermal would uh, certainly. It's, it, I'd put it, put it this way, Greg. It's on the list. It's a long list. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's I always can imagine. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Jen. So, um, our actual topic for this evening. Uh, the reason I've brought you all here. Yeah, actually, you bought yourselves. But anyway, uh, is your reloading process. So, uh, one of the things that um, I, I've found in discussions with people, and I know Paul, you were talking about a story previously about the same thing. That uh, yeah, we all start with fired brass usually, or perhaps new brass, but we all start with brass, and we all end up with a load of round. But the process that we actually get there, the order of that process is often different. Or we take different steps, or we go through different things. So. I, uh, I'm going to ask you guys um, to talk about your process and what you do and how you go through it. Now, should we do this on a – I'm trying to think the best way to do this. Do we ask everyone their individual process and then, like, criticize it? Or do we um, do we sort of slowly step through the process all together and end up at the same point at the end? That's a legit question I'm actually asking. What about – I mean, because I, I could sort of – give you a step-by-step breakdown of how I started reloading and then what I did to get into it and then where I've sort of progressed from there because I get so many questions of people of, you know, oh, what do you do? How do you do it? You know, and and I was one of the, I guess, unfortunate few that um, when I started shooting, I had a really good mate who was right into guns but not reloading. Do you know what I mean? He was right. he was a red-hot mm-hmm. shot but on factory ammo and... Um, I took the step into reloading because my calibers were bigger than his and mm. to afford it, you know what I mean? Mm. And to make that premium ammo, it's like, well, okay, well, oh, I've, got to, I've got to delve into that. that. Right, yeah, so, sorry. So that wasn't a joke. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good, good. So. Sure. Yeah, all right. Well, um, we'll start with you, Paul. Take us through what you're, uh, how you go about it. All right, well, I mean, I started off with a, a Lee um, reloading set, I think it was, which is just a standard yep. lock and load, I think it is, is it? Um, uh, that's the horny one. Uh, oh, okay. it's, breech lock or um, what else they called them? There's anyway. Yeah, it was no, just no, the, budget the budget one. It was basically one. The, the starter model. Yep. Um, and then I worked out. Okay, I need a powder trickler. Okay, that's driving me nuts. I need, you know, I want an electronic trickler. Um, that's drive. You know, that that was good. I've got that sorted. Um, move on to dies. You know, I went from a, a standard set to a deluxe set, and then I've progressed from a single turret to a, a, four, a four stage turret, and I can actually keep all dies. You know, for that one caliber. In, in the one turret. So I've sort of progressed quick, relatively quickly, but it sort of showed me, it gave me a really good basis of what to start with, mm. which was really, really handy. And then, you know, I've just on sold all the gear as I've gone on. Um, 
and I, I started with factory brass, you know, so I'd buy factory ammo um, and try and keep that consistent. So I'd shoot, yep. you know, Remington, Winchester, whatever it may be, federal. Um, and then I've, even now, I think the last two years, I've then progressed into Lapours and Normas, et cetera. And you, you start seeing, you know, you start chasing that, that um, I guess, that consistency. Mm. And it was just evident that, look, I started really well um, in the sense of, I started from the basics and I, I really did progress quite well and it was quite, you could sort of see the difference and the speed yep. with reloading and even down sure. to trimming. You know, I've gone from a, a single case trimmer with the Lee cutters to a, um, a lineman now and now I've got like, you know, I've got probably six or seven different calibers and I've got six or seven different cutters. You know, I, I don't mess mm. around trying to reset. I just take them off, bang, I'd stick that in one box. Um, you know, you, you do progress to, to find out what your niche is and how you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm one of those people that I'd rather just a box with, you know, two, two, three, six point five or forty seven, whatever it is, um, and it has, you know, the cutter, the dies, the inserts, everything. Bang, take it out, one box. You know, set it up, bang, I'm into it. Um, the uh, I've gone from that, as I said, into now to, um, I guess, premium brass. You can start seeing the difference, and I'm now into the sense of uh, I've gone from you know media tumbler. To a stainless steel tumbler. Yeah. Um, That's a good move. Yeah. It, oh, I love it. Um, oh, you'll yeah. never go back. Yeah. Actually, in saying that, I use both still, but... <laughs> oh, no, you I... never go back, except I did. Yeah. yeah. Except me. No, I used both. I didn't go back. I just used both. There is nothing <laughs> worse than pulling those bloody corn cob media yeah. out of the primer, primer holes. <laughs> you can keep that. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's bring us back to that, because that, that there holes. is a difference in, in some reloading processes. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of your process, uh, I'm going to ask you guys: Is the first thing you do clean your brass? Yeah, well, deprime it in the tumbler is my first. And what type of tumbler? Yes, it's oh, I use stainless. Stainless. Love, love the bloody thing. Yeah, fantastic. Bronte. Yeah, I deprime mine using one of the Harvey depriming tools, mm-hmm. and then stainless tumbler. Paul and I've done the same. Now I've actually jumped across to the the single like hand deprimer. Yeah, tumble the brass and then resize. And and so you're all running stainless tumbler. Yeah, I use both. But tell, we'll tell get to that. No, okay, so you use stainless for this process. Yep, I use stainless for the first clean. Okay, okay, cool. This this is where we're heading. Cool. So mm. in terms of, um, I'll be uh, honest with the majority of my precision stuff. I get my brass done at um, uh, by a bloke called Rob Harker uh, for Acculote, who basically sending me brass and it comes back sparkling and really consistent and he's much more anal about that than I am so I let him do it plus it also it chews yeah. up time but when I do have to do my brass the only thing I've got is a corn cob tumbler and so when I'm loading something like 22250 in, in fact you know what I'm going to use I'm going to use my 22250 as my example tonight so that's you know it's my spotlighting gun and I don't give it as much attention in terms of the reloading, uh, but it is quite a different process to perhaps what you guys are going to be doing. So I'm going to use that as my example for my answers this evening. And so uh, what I do with that is I leave it, leave the spent primers in there, and I throw it in the corn cob tumbler for about 15 hours for the time they should get clean, and then pull it out, and uh, and then away we go. So. Um, Bronte, what do you do after you've cleaned it? And, of course, you've got your primer out already. What's your next step? So, basically, I take it out of the stainless tumbler, mm-hmm. separate the pins, which is probably the most frustrating part of the whole reloading process. That's why I get Rob to do it. Never mind. I'm um, sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, I, I do. Do like you use a separator? Yeah, no. 
Um, I use a bucket and water. Yeah, get a separator. Yeah, and stainless is easy. Okay, yeah. so from a corn cob perspective, yeah, separator. Definitely separator. Yeah, well, Bronte, anyway. you're the intelligent one, man. I mean, you could have worked <laughs> yeah. that way out. Surely you would have engineered something to do this by now. <laughs> I'm working on it. That's one of the 15 or 16 projects. Um, then my next step is I put it into a dehydrator. Yep. So I've got just like a $20 eBay dehydrator, mm-hmm. and that's the quickest way i found of drying all my shelves because then I don't have to put them in the sun and they don't get as many water spots yep. and stuff on them from the stainless tumbler. Greg found a cheaper way to do that. Pinch his wife's food. Yeah, works really well. <laughs> she doesn't listen. You use the dehydrator as well? Yeah, please. I use a food dehydrator we had for the kids years okay. ago. I use metho. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. That'll separate water. That'll because, work. Because, I mean, oh, yeah. it's instant. I mean, it's, yeah. it's literally... Well, it's not... All it really does is metho is predominantly ethyl, eth- ethanol, so it absorbs water, so it's sort of hydrophilic. Um, yeah, but I don't drink it. I, I, <laughs> I, dip, I dip the brass into it. Come on, buddy. It's right. one way of getting around it. But. No, but basically, it just seems that um, you know, like you I, rid of most I basically, of it. yeah, it gets yeah. It, it almost separates it quickly. Yeah, and then as soon as I put them upside down in a um, a case tray. Like within fifteen minutes, I can start reloading. It's dead. Yeah, 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 it almost evaporates dry. So yeah, yeah, cool. All right, and uh, so I do. Yeah, what am I doing? Uh, Two fifty. So I'm, I I media separate, and I don't have to worry about drying. You suckers. Um, and what do we do once the cases are dry, Paul? What's your next step? Um, yeah, what's my next step after drying, Greg? What's your next step <laughs> yeah, after so, drying? So uh, next step will be sizing for me. Yep. Um. So I've got a couple of different, like for my 6x47, which is my long range one, I have reading dies for that. Yep. Um, for my hunting rigs, they're all just uh, RCBS mm-hmm. dies. I full length size all my stuff. And um, so what do you do? I imagine you lube before you size? Yeah, so I, I, you I, I, yeah I'm still pretty traditional. I've still got the, uh, I started off with the RCBS lock and, is it lock and load? The, the that's, starter that's pack. still Hornady? Um, no, like we said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> rock chucker supreme. Rock chucker. Yeah, <laughs> rock. Uh, <laughs> rock chucker is it? Yeah, that's the, the starter pack. Uh, and I've got a very similar background to to Paul in that I've. Um, and that's the pad. You yeah, the, the pad. pad. I've upgraded everything except the the pad bit. So yep. I still got the traditional pad. Yeah, so just give them a run through and and, and they're running through the sizer. Yeah, running through the sizer. Bronte yep. the same. No, Good. I add another step in there. I um. I didn't ask you to explain, Paul. <laughs> what about you? Are you the same? Paul, <laughs> <laughs> well, you the same or you different? At no, I'm much the same. I was much just going to ask Greg though. Do you resize like um, case lent, case trim your brass before you resize or? No, I'll that? do that after because my my trimming is is indexed off the neck. Okay. So and I'll talk and about. So that do you in a resize minute. or do you trim? At this point, I actually uh, I tend to resize. Re- resize uh, first. Yeah, yep. but I use a lineman, so it's actually the full length of the case anyway. So I don't I don't mm. size off the neck. Yep, and and mm. lubing. Um, I I've gone to the um, is it the Hornady one shot? I think it is. You spray. The spray. It yeah. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, I've only Are you asking it, me? Oh, well, any of you because I, I've only it. used it once and it seemed to go okay. Yeah, because so. I'd like to do something different than the lube pad, but I only want to go to something that. You know, people think works. I've gone so from I don't the know. lube pad. I've yeah. used the powder. I think the Lyman powder. Yeah. I've used the Hornady um, uh, lube paste. I think it is. Yep. I've yeah. used the unique. I've used quite a few, and yeah. that Hornady spray. It just seems to be works quickest and easy, and it seemed yeah. to work. Yeah. That's Can you um have you you've used it once? You said. 
Yeah, but I loaded like 200 cases when I cool. used it. Cool. Can you so. message me? Tell me when you get a stuck case. That'd be wonderful, mate. So that's next time he reloads? Won't be far off. Yeah, yep. that's exactly right. The, the issue I have with a one shot, and I've used, I used it quite a bit, and ever since I stopped using it, I haven't had a stuck case. Um, is but you don't reload. Rob does. Back then I used to. And then, um, hang on, when are we using this on my 2250? Um, when I use that, what I find is that people, it, generally it's an inconsistent spread. So because of that, it's not uncommon to see a stuck case. Often if you ask someone, if they come on Facebook and they say, I've oh, got a stuck case. And you go, did you lube? And they go, of course I did. You go, what, uh, did you use Hornley One Shot? And they say, yes. And you go, yeah, I should have put money on that bet. Um Unfortunately, it happens a lot, and it's not because it's necessarily bad loop, I've learned, uh, but it's just that inconsistency in terms of actually spraying it on the on the case. So um, how, how do you spray it on? Do you just have them in the... I don't. In, I don't use it. I think it's rubbish. Yeah. Because yeah, I've, <laughs> I've seen guys apply it in a in a bag, like in a Ziploc I've bag, and yep. then shake it around the that. bag. Yep. You tried that. Okay. I did. Well, mine wasn't a bag. It was a bucket, mm. but a tub. Um, yeah, okay. And look, you know, I'm... I'm uh, yeah, I, I certainly, for me, I won't go back to it. I'm sure it works for some guys and they've found a method of delivery. And I think that's the big thing is how do you deliver it to the cases yeah. to get it consistent. But yeah. um, generally speaking, uh, so I, at this point, I would use uh, the, the pad for you for my 22 to 50 if I was reloading anything else. Uh, my I use the Hornady Unique, um, which is the, the paste stuff. Just put, put it, it on your by, fingers. And just, yeah. That yep. stuff's real viscous and goes a long, long way. Yep. Mm. So back to you, Bronte, and uh, because you didn't sort of conform with the rest of us, you prior to resizing, what do you go through? So before I resize, I'll um, induction anneal. Right. So I've found that has been something I've only really added into the system recently. Yep. And... I've noticed not necessarily accuracy improvements, but have noticed a, a decrease in my extreme spread and standard deviations yeah. um, that I would proportion to that. Okay. Um, so after I've done that. I have to say Rob Rob does that aspect uh, from Aculite yeah. as well for me. Um, so, um, yeah, certainly that's a, that's a good process. It's funny though because Rob, Rob does hilarious. the same for me. No, no, Rob does my um, annealing as well. Oh, and he told me to now. do, oh, yeah, I tried getting the whole <laughs> whole sort of system done with Rob and he told me to build it. But um, he actually asked me to resize and get everything done to the case and then he anneals, which is slightly different to what you do. Yep. Um, the reason I have gone with the system I do is because for me, I'm firing from the same gun. So all my cases are fired. So they're already expanded out to the, my chamber profile. Um, so they're already at essentially the same point. I then anneal them, which is essentially um, changing the grain structure of the brass, and then size them. If I size them first, if some of those cases have, say, been fired three times, others have been fired eight times, the ones that have been fired eight times have worked hardened more. So when I go to resize that case, that's going to actually spring back, uh, yeah, it's going to spring back le uh, more than the case that hasn't been working hardened as much. So when I go to put it in the uh, annealing machine, one case is actually bigger than the other because of the amount of spring back. Whereas if I anneal it, I reduce that metal hardness to the same point on every case. Mm -hmm. I then resize all from that same datum. Okay, yeah. See, so I actually batch my brass. So I've got two lots of 200. So I'll fire the 200 and they're all, you know, once fired, two fired, three fired, whatever they are. But they all, I guess that's, 
that's the consistency I've always gone for. Yeah, so that's there you go, slightly different. Yeah, yeah mm. one thing that one issue that I have found early on in the piece with the way that I did it is when I went to resize the cases, I was getting some scoring on the outside of the neck because that material is a bit softer. Yep. Um, but changing over to the titanium nitride coated dyes seemed to fix that up. Fix that up, no worries. So, so given yeah, you're Neo and then you resize. Do you, what, what I do, also do, you do my flash holes? Uh, okay. If it's the obviously after I've done a, you only have to do that once. Yep. But I'll um, deburr my flash holes, particularly if it's um, an American brass. Typically, the European. They stuff, need to be racist. Well, it's more about the the method that they make the brass. Uh, they punch the whether they punch it or drill the the flash hole. Um, sure. I still do go over Lapua and Norma brass mm-hmm. um, because I try to get a little bit of a bevel in there to try to get a slightly more consistent mm-hmm. um, flame profile from the primer. Then I I, I typically use the um, I think it's the uh, imperial sizing wax. The yep, the reading that the reading imperial sizing wax and just you know a little bit on your hands. And run go. that, run that through, um, and that's then I've basically resized all my cases. That's when I put them into the the dry tumbler to remove that wax off the outside because yep. obviously that reading wax is like it's a bit slippery and slimy and it it stays around the case mm. uh, more so than what your Hornady one shot and those other products do. But since I've had used that, I've never had a stuck case, so mm. it works. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, you're not the first one I know who will clean them after they have um, resized uh, to get that that lube off. Can I just add a couple of things? Um, You can. Firstly, yeah, I also uh, deburr. I think that's really worthwhile. Um, You're talking uh, flash holes? Yeah, flash holes. Absolutely do that. Um, From an SD standpoint, that's a big, big ad. Um, or a big reduction, I should say. Yep. Um, secondly, I just wanted to add, because um, I full-length size, I actually set the dies correctly. Um, that's something... I actually go out of my way to set them incorrectly. Yeah, well, if you follow the instructions, you probably are. Um, <laughs> because you really need to in, you, you need to get some fired brass and understand how far your shoulder's sitting sure. and then set your, your die to that. And I think Hornady call them headspace gauges. Well, no, they're not the yeah. true headspace gauge. But... Yeah. Um, with a set of those, you can you can set your die to minimise the amount of working you're doing on your brass. Yep. Um, so definitely have a look at that if if you're full length sizing. It's yeah. one of those things that that's something that gets missed by so many people, hmm. and pretty much everybody who you see complaining about head space separate head separation, they don't set their dies up correctly nine out of ten times. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, it's funny you say that too because I've actually I've been reloading for quite some some years, and I've actually just got out and bought the gauge to test the um, the fired brass yeah. or the Hornady gauge. Yeah. And I'm going down that path now. I mean, it's it's about that consistency. And that's my next step, I guess, is to yeah. rule out my error yep. trying to sort of push the case back too far. Yeah, because so. I, I used to set my full-length dies to the instructions, which was like down and then, you know, back half a turn or whatever it was. But that was like 11 foul or something I was pushing them down where you're, you're, trying, to, you're, you're trying to get the shoulder to only go down about two foul. Um, you one, know, yeah. in, in that vicinity, one two thousand all I normally work to. Yeah, um, it's actually quite interesting you you say that, Paul, because with the weird and weird and dies, they actually come with that headspace attachment. Oh, that's a good idea because you know obviously they're targeted to more that little bench rest precision shooting, and it's one thing that yeah a lot of people who haven't actually seen it done or don't really 
haven't had that exposure, just aren't aware of, and mm. it's a, it's a and common you, error. And you should get a longer life out of your full-length sizing as well, out of the brass. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're only, if you're only working that shoulder one, two thou versus 10, 12 thou, that's a lot less um, growth that case has to do every time it fires. So, so Brondy, do you full-length size as well, or do you neck size? No, um, I very first started off full-length size, and didn't know how to set my dies up properly, and then decided that full-length sizing was rubbish. Um, then went to neck sizing, and that was fine for a while, until the point that the cases were difficult to chamber. And now, I actually full-length size, but bump my shoulder back by one thou. So, that's what I've mm. found to be the most precision, precise, in the respect that I get reliable feeding. Because with neck sizing, um, I'm not particularly fussy with my brass in the respect of how many times it's been fired. Yep. It kind of just ends up in a bucket. And, you know, <laughs> one piece of brass is done twice, one piece is done 10 times. Um, so I found that full-length sizing eliminates that okay. lack of uh, traceability, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm. I think that one of the things, though, is is that, and you guys have all just alluded to it, and it was going to always be mentioned at some point during this, is that reloading is certainly a journey. And we start out learning a way that works and, and we can get get the job done. And then there's a continual refinement of process and I guess that's what we're going through at the moment because um, a lot of guys will learn how to set their die out based on the general book instruction or whatever it is, which nothing particularly wrong with that, but there's ways you can refine it and make it better, uh, which comes in time with experience and knowledge. Yeah, and yeah I think knowledge is, is, is yeah. a big key and, and training and, and reading books. That's certainly where it came from for me. Mm. Um, mm. But definitely starting with those starter packs from Hornady and RCBS, that'll get you going. Yeah, so there's well, no doubt about it. Well yeah. and truly. It's one of those things that you sort of touched on that, Greg. I didn't read any books. I kind of just figured it out. I bought powder, I bought projectiles and kind of guess they'll go Cuffed together it. eventually. <laughs> Throw it all together and hit, a hammer, hit it with a hammer. Yeah. So it, well, that's, that's typical engineering, isn't it? If you can't <laughs> fix it, if it's meant to move, WD-40 and a hammer. If it still doesn't move, get a bigger hammer. And if it, should mo- it shouldn't move, grey tape and cable ties, and you're fine. Yeah, that's pretty much how I do my reloading. <laughs> I did much the same, and it's it's funny, though. Not, not with the grey tape doesn't, and hammer. It doesn't chamber with no, the cable ties, eh? No, I, I started off with a lease set, like I said, and um, my first, I guess, foray into it was neck sizing, like straight away. Yeah, right. Um. But it's actually funny that since I've started doing the PRS type shooting, um, I'm chasing that muzzle velocity a bit more. So where I was before, I was sort of 2,400 and, you know, plus in the MV range. My brass didn't stretch that much, right? So I could mm. exercise quite comfortably. I could get six, seven, eight firings out of it, no dramas. I'm chasing that MV now and I'm, I'm up around the 2,850. And it's funny, you've got to bump the shoulder, like you can't just neck size because, you, as you say, you can't chamber the round. So it's it's actually it's funny how your style of shooting changes over the years, and that then progressively changes the way you reload. It's also how, how often do you have to bump on neck sizing typically? Well, on the six point five Creedmoor, I found that um, the higher the velocity, that that really was a the the shoulder on that really did need to be bumped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, Every foreign. Um. Literally, yeah. Because I wow. I noticed. Yep. If I didn't do it, because as I said, my history is neck sizing. You know, it's fire formed, awesome, best way to start type thing. And I was finding, I was struggling closing the bolt. Yeah. And it's like, well, hang on, you know, what's going on here? And then, yeah. you know, you ask the questions and, you know, talk to people that have been doing it for years and, you know, I've burned Rusty's ears for a bit and sort of find out the whys and wherefores. And it just seemed to be okay. In that instance, if I'm chasing my MV, mm. full sizing is probably the way to go. 
yeah. in that instance. Yeah, and I know for me, I, I, I was sort of heavily influenced by hunting because I've been out in the field with neck sizes and a mm-hmm. little bit of dust in the chamber and it's pretty much game over. Well, yeah. if you're not prepared to free a case or free a round, um, you can take a rifle out yeah, of the game. You yeah. revert back to... Um, if it doesn't move and it's meant to, the larger <laughs> hammer. Um, yeah. A lot of a lot of exactly. shooting was spotlighting in the early days, and that was exactly the same. You're driving around in a dusty yeah. environment, and you get stuck cases, and then you yell and scream mm. when things run away that shouldn't be running away because mm. you can't get around in it. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> it's not me. Right, so I think we've got to the point where we've resized our cases, and Bronte's cleaned the lube off, and everyone else enjoys their cases being lubed. What do you guys to? Paul, what do you do after you've resized your cases? Um, I'm debating whether or not I reclean. Um, you know, trying to get that lube off and again going for the consistency and um Well, is that a bloke you trust or not? He doesn't even have a separator for Christ's sake, so <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't trust me either. <laughs> no, I, I again I'm in the territory where I'm sort of I'm starting to change my systems. Sure. Um yep. I've only just gone to the stainless steel media and like I said, best move I've made I reckon. Um mm-hmm. it but again, I've only just started going the hand deprimer as well. Yeah. You know, I used to deprime with... Um, Resizing. Yeah, when I resized, and yep. I'd do that before I cleaned. And, you know, logic, you know, should tell you that you've got carbon <laughs> on it. And mm. But I used to clean the necks every time I shot. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I'd sort of clean the case anyway, um, yeah. and I wouldn't get much carbon build up. But then mm. with a PRS type shooting, you're just picking them off the ground. You're not, you know, cleaning them. It's not sort of bench rest stuff. So mm. it... it Again, it just it's the way your shooting progresses, and yeah, sort of how you sort of go with it, and then um, yeah. so answer the question: What do you do after you resize? <laughs> <laughs> I load it, Rusty. <laughs> right, someone more useful, Greg. What yeah, you, um, uh, I, I hand prime. I hand prime. Sorry, hand prime. Do you yeah. trim or anything, or we're we not? I've already trimmed. I trim before. You forgot to mention that. No, no, I said I trimmed oh, before. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't really mm. listening. I'm Greg's really the listening. one that trims up. Yeah, he, he yeah. said he does it early before he size, which is does it before he size, which sighs. is not necessarily right in the respect. Oh, that. hang on, no, we controversy. No, damn. Should we go into an uncomfortable silence? All right, okay. No, no, we'll just move <laughs> just, on. We just say so he's trimmed already. All right, cool. Greg, um, so Greg, that might be my, re- my problem actually. So I'll, <laughs> well, no, it's, it's more though when you resize. All right, come back to it. Come back to it. That case, the case grows when you resize it because you're basically pushing that body back in, mm. causing and that metal's got to go somewhere, so it grows. Yeah, but Obviously, I think the thing was I used to neck size. If you, you know neck size, I mean? then it makes very little. And difference. that's 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 what I mean. My that's history is neck sizing, yeah. so that's why I used to get away with it. And like I said, now I'm, I'm sort of progressing because I've got to get out of my comfort my comfort zone because I am chasing MV and and I now I am yeah like I said I'm changing my style and my process, mm-hmm. and I'm in the middle of doing that so. Yeah, Danny Romando's burning my ear on it. So. <laughs> All right, so um, Paul, you you trim? Uh, uh, no, you have already trimmed. Greg, is that where you go to? Do you trim? Yeah, I trim straight after sizing. So I've got one of those. Uh, is it Gerald? Gerald trimmers? I can't pronounce it. Gerard. 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 I'm I'm just making more confusion. Yeah, out of the US. Gerard. Um, for your Gary. For your more standard uh, calibers, he's got a drill. Um, yeah, fitting I trimmer. I have seen that, actually. Yeah, he's only oh. got it for like 223, 243, 308, your typical sort of yeah, yeah, common calibers. For Wildcats, you've got to buy the desktop interchangeable the one. one behind you. Yeah. yeah, that one. That one. Um, but I hit that, and that 
that inside bevels, outside bevels, and trims at the same time. And that's mm. why I size first because that indexes off the shoulder. And that's what I was talking about before. Yep. So it's really good. You just like push it in literally one second, zit, zit, zit. And it's, uh, it is pretty good. It's very, it? very efficient because that was the longest part of my reloading process was yep. trimming and, um, deburring. And do you, so that was like a godsend. I shall ask you, I'll ask all of you in a moment. Bronte, are you the same? Is this the point where you trim after you've cleaned your, your lube off? Or Sorry, I should add. I oh. do clean the lube off. You do clean I, the lube I'd, off. I just get a rag. Yep. I, I did try and go through reloading without cleaning it, but yep. what I found is bits of carbon and started to stick to the sides of my cases, Dirt and then and I'm worrying about that getting, getting in the dye. Cases. I actually yeah. got bits of carbon in my dye that were starting to dent cases, so okay. that was just an experience thing. So I actually just get a cloth, and I just wipe them. Um, yep. But I don't load massive quantities, I guess. Um, if I was loading bigger quantities, I'd probably do something like what um, yeah, Bronte's Bronte doing, to, you know, because it'd be more efficient for time. But uh, yeah. Sure. And, and Bronte yourself, is this the point where you trim or not? I don't really trim very much. I was, um, I was expecting you to say something really left field, like, oh, I load half my powder at this point <laughs> and let that settle. But anyway, sorry, carry on. No, nah, because um, I'm shooting... My two four three, I have to trim because that's sort of got a um, a twenty degree shoulder, I think it is from memory, and that tends to to grow a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But most of the other cases I'm shooting have a fairly steep shoulder, so thirty plus. Yeah. Um. So I don't find that they grow a huge amount, and also by only sort of bumping the shoulder back one or so thou each time, I'm not really ex- experiencing a huge amount of case growth. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, this is when I would do my my trimming. Yep. Um. Then. Make sure I um, share it fit on the inside and outside of the case as well. Um, yep. But yeah, I haven't really had to trim a huge amount. I mean, I don't have a. I've still got sort of the Lyman trimmer, which means that it only cuts square, so you have to do the extra steps. Yep. So that's something that I would look at upgrading at some point, so I can do all three at once, and then I'll probably trim more regularly. But sure. Um, that's yeah. I sort of skip that. But one thing I probably do also do before mm-hmm. I prime is um, ream the. Uh, primer pocket to make sure it's a uniform depth. So okay. I only have to do that once. But I found that also did help reduce SD and sure. extreme spread by having that sort of more consistent um, primer strike, which then gave me more consistent ignition. Does anyone batch their bras? I tried for a while, but I gave up because I just bought, for my 6.5 Super LR, I basically bought 400 odd cases from the same batch from Norma. Right. And then every time I got an oddball case, I threw it out. Yeah, right. What about you, Greg? No. Should we ring Rob for you, Rusty? Or <laughs> I give him the brass, and no, we don't batch it. No. Yeah, the um, only batching I do is firings. Yeah, I, do, I just keep it in firing numbers. Yep. That's that's it, and just keep an eye on them that way. So with uh, where we're up to. So with my twenty-two to fifty, I actually at this point I it's sitting on the Dylan. Okay, Dylan six fifty. It's uh, I've so I've, I've run it off the pad. I throw it into the top, and it loops as it goes through, and um, and then it resizes on the die, uh, pops the primer out, and then um, I haven't trimmed my two fifty brass because I, to be fair, I have probably got a thousand pieces, and so I usually load them up once every year, maybe eighteen months, and. I haven't probably fired them enough that many pieces that I've had to. Um, yeah, I think um, in one of Litz's books he talks about trimming, and mm-hmm. and you know how quite often in a book there's a tolerance, 
for trimming, and it's usually about four-ish thou, five-ish thou. Yeah. Um, for an ideal, on oh, I think it's semi semi spec. Hmm. Um, he said there's not a lot of difference if you let that go. Like there's other things that will affect yep. more than that. So. Yeah, I guess you could just sort of let it go inside that tolerance and yeah. until it hits an edge and it's probably not going to affect. Absolutely. And, and Unless so it with, was extreme. With my edge. more accurate loads, if I am loading them myself, the um, uh, I've got a Gorilla trimmer as well, so I run them through that. Uh, which And I, in that situation, I trim them every time. Actually, I, I tell a lie, my 250 I have trimmed, um, but I usually do it... Um, yeah, once every few four, yeah. reloads, which is you know, over years, and I, I will just sit there with every piece of brass on the garrote for half an hour, and mm. just go bang, 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 uh, and and trim them all on mass. Some of them get hit, some of them don't get touched. Yeah, um, same with but, me. Yeah, know, and then and then throw them all in the hopper, and away we go again. It is actually yeah. interesting you raise that though, because I was speaking to someone earlier today, and who's been having a few sort of issues um, that they've sort of tracked back to the case length actually being. Mm too long yep. and they're, they're having difficulty chambering rounds yep. di- em- mm. chambering empty cases and you know the, the only logical thing that's left is the fact that that case has grown to the point that it's is bottoming out on the inside of the chamber and uh i have had that previously years ago actually and and Can i've you seen that on your 338 no you, no that, no that was, that was a different scenario yeah yep. um but i i've i've had that on now i'm gonna struggle to remember what gun it was but it was it was Ten years ago plus, um, and and yeah, it was case length. So, but what I'm saying with those twenty two to fifties, they may get fired once over a year and a half, yeah, two so years. Just don't so grow enough to over three years, it. it might be two firings, and probably every three years I'll run them through that mm. and, and do it. So somehow I've amassed that much brass. <laughs> yeah, I mean I've had that gun. Well, I've had a twenty two to fifty for many many years. So how do you find the consistency on the Dylan? Um, well, I guess we'll get to that eventually, but, but for the task I'm asking of the gun, you know, sort of a 300 meter Fox gun, it's, uh, ample. Yeah, it's fine. So after trimming, uh, actually that, that was a question I was going to ask you guys, which I think we all sort of end up is how often do you trim? Do you base it based on, like, do you measure them and then go, yeah, I'm going to trim, trim this lot or you just every fifth firing or third firing, do you do it? Paul? Well, again, my methodology's changed. I mean, previously yeah. I was... Um, obviously, full uh, sorry, neck sizing only. So I was dropping the primer in the same time as doing the neck, and then I'd resize, which mm-hmm. I, was, I was getting away with. Um, but now, what I'm finding is, yeah, I do on the six point five Creedmoor. I've noticed I do, I do it every time. So what I'll do is I'll yep. deprime, hand deprime, like I said, I'll fu- uh, full length size, and then I will cut the case. I'll trim the case to length, and then sort of progress from there. But that's only because of the muzzle velocity, though. So Paul, Paul's slightly I'm confused slightly about his confused. process because he's changing at the moment, which is uh, absolutely fine. So no, that's great. Look, no, because you know, what yeah. I was doing was this before I yeah. actually used to do. I, I've only just started using the handy primer, mm-hmm. and on the first time I used the Creedmoor, I handy primed and then I actually trimmed the case. Yep. With just sort of because that was my methodology that was before. What you normally did, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep. then what I did was like the last time I think I had Will had I had Will shooting my rifle in one of the PRIs, yep. and it was inconsistent. And that's what sort of drove me to that other direction. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of those. It was just funny. Yeah, how it all sort of happened. Bronte, how often do you trim? Or do you trim every time? What's your process? Oh, uh, I trim seldomly. Um, it's really when, when I start you need to, to have if difficulty chambering an empty shell. Okay. 
Yep. Greg, you... Uh, every time, just because the with those Gerard tools, it's so damn easy, yep. why not take the extra couple of minutes to do the whole damn lot? Yeah. You know, so I just... Vit, 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 vit. The... Some take, some don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, why Probably not? Consistently. And then, look, I, I'd say the same on the, the, the stuff I'm loading for precision. I, I do that. Uh, for my 22 to 50, as I said, I sort of do it every two or three times. I usually, what I'll, I'll do is I'll measure, you know, like a random sample of the brass. And then if, if a few of them are going over, then I'll do the whole lot. Uh, and if not, away we go. I guess yeah. when you've got a trimming tool that, that literally is two to three seconds, you're not thinking about all the time this trimming process is going to take you. So you just go, oh, yeah, bang, 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 throw them all through. So with the conventional trimmer, it's not necessarily the trimming that's the hard part. It's setting it up. It's, no, no it's the loading. setup's a pain. You just sort of do But as Paul said, you have multiple cutters. Yep. And I've gone down the same path and it makes life a lot easier. Yep. But it's the part that I hate is the, the deburring mm. after the inside okay. and outside deburring. Yeah, where right. the three-way cutter would just make life yeah, a hundred times easier. Do you use one of the Lyman stations though when you do? Yeah, I've got one yeah. of the li- I've got one of those as well. But I've actually sort of stopped using that. And I've just bought like a Milwaukee cordless drill. That's <laughs> way quicker. Yeah, right. Just Did you get a heated jacket at the same time. I bought the batteries so I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Alpine hunting jacket. <laughs> nice. So we might finish that episode off there. It ended up being quite a long night, actually. And so we'll throw this into a part two as well. So, guys, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for Paul for being on the podcast and sponsoring it as well. And we will be back uh, in about a week's time with part two of this episode. Cheers, guys. Catch you again. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Scoped Out Shooting Optics and Accessories.